Peltero Pickle episode 103. Chris and I are going to get deep into the playoffs. We've got a long, long talk about Bryce Harper and what he's doing this year. We're going to dive into some of the, the Twitter stuff that's been going on with the Matt Kemp drill, with some K per nine stuff. Overall, a lot of stuff going on in Peltero world. We're, uh, we're waiting on one element of code. One, it's not even a function. It's well, maybe it is a function, but one final piece. And then the pro play stuff is going to be ready to roll, which is incredibly exciting. Um, the thought of going from a video taken from an iPhone and converting that into a custom training program. I said probably 2016, that video analysis was going to be over and now it's happening. So pretty excited about things that are happening. Um, got a lot of people using it in uh, kind of some beta and testing modes right now. So we got videos coming in from all over the country. Um, really, really excited about what we built. Really excited for people to get their hands on it. Uh, we've got the, the hitting stuff, the strengthening and program, strengthening conditioning programs will be rolling out uh, very shortly. We just need to get some resources together from uh, just ability to create assessments and an education process, but it's fun, man. We've, uh, We've had conversations with probably eight or nine teams in the last two weeks, major league organizations, which is really fun. Pelotero's accepted into the uh, winter meetings tech expo. So we're going to be going out to San Diego, San Diego for the uh, the winter meetings, which will be really fun. Um, got to see a list of all the companies going and it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. There's like a huge movement right now that, like in, in business, we talk about product market fit. And every time we talk to people, I always ask what their what their problems are, what what problems they're trying to solve, how are they defining success. And it's pretty interesting how basically when people, whether it be college teams, travel programs, or major league teams, the problems that they describe are exactly what Pelotero was built to execute on. So it's it's really fun to uh to think about how many people we're gonna be able to help very, very soon. We've been, we've been grinding on it, working hard, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So let's jump into the episode. We've got uh, a fun show. Chris and I have a lot of thoughts on the playoffs and playoff mentality and a lot of good stuff in there. So Pelotero Pickle 103, check it out. Pelotero Pickle, episode 103. I'm Bobby Tewksbury. Joining me as always is Chris Colabello. Before we get started, a reminder, send us emails to pickle at peltero.com or hit us up on Twitter at Pelotero Pickle. Chris, I dominated that today. You can't say anything about it. How are you doing today? One nothing you or one to 500 you. Either way. Uh, I'm yeah. fine. Fine's the word. Fine. We've already been on the phone for two hours today, so we'll just keep it rolling. We'll keep going. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. It's all fine. So pretty playoff heavy show today, which is, it makes sense. Um, we've got the World Series defined, so that's exciting. Let's jump right into it. Um, Bryce Harper. Is he him? That's it. Just clap. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I saw his, like, awesome. o- his OPS. Playoff OPS, 1300 something. That's pretty good. 1419. Uh, 1419. Twitter right now is basically the Bryce Harper fan club of baseball. Everybody's claiming him. So that's good. Uh, pretty standard approach there to claim people that are hitting well. Uh, we'll see if, if his swing mechanics change if he doesn't hit in the, mecha- in, the, in the World Series and see if people get off of him if he doesn't hit. 500 in the world series, but, uh, he seems like a Philly guy, even though he's from Vegas, pretty impressive what he's done. I think like his whole attitude and demeanor and everything he's talking God, I said it wrong. I was right. I said 1350. Yeah, you were right. But let's talk about, let's, let's talk about Bryce Harper, the Philly. Because it was pretty interesting they were playing the Padres. Or, yeah, the Padres who had Soto from the Nationals, Bell from the Nationals, and then Harper from the Nationals. So it's kind of like the uh, all the good players the Nationals didn't keep playing for the, the, <laughs> the National League Championship. Um, but let's talk about Bryce because he 
I mean, he's the guy for the last, what, 14 years? He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated when he was 16. He is like um, the the LeBron of baseball in some ways. It's not always the same because basketball is different. But what do we got on Bryce? Listen, Bruce Harper Bryce. is pretty awesome. I... Uh... I've always said this, you and I have gone back and forth with, you know, Trout, Harper, Trout, Harper. And it's weird how, you know, he kind of got lost in the shuffle there for like, I don't know, he had two years where he hit 260 something, still like 870 OPS or something along those lines, both those years. But the guy's really good. And I've said this to you from the beginning. He, when he puts it together, he has a chance to be way better than Trout. Like his upside is higher from an offensive, create numbers, batting average, homers standpoint. If you if you really look at Mike Trout, I, I would gen, I would generally say without looking at the stats, it's between two eighty and three ten every year with thirty to forty. Right? There's no there isn't I. There's probably not a 50 homer season in there. There's probably not a 130 RBI season. Maybe like RBIs are a little bit more subjective. Um, but Bryce has a chance to hit 340, hit 50 bombs, drive in 150, and do silly stuff. Um, now, which which guy was going to show up? That was the question. And you saw early this year. Significant adjustments early on, committed to a no-stride, two-strike approach, went to that early against certain pitchers, maturation process in full effect, barrel tips smaller, moves aren't as violent, and it was manifesting itself in a really, really good early season surge before he got hurt. And I think it speaks to everything that he's doing right now. And his presence, even in the interview, when he talked about being grateful for the moment. And to your point, like you want to play for something bigger than yourself. And I, I don't think there's anything better than being in a passionate city and getting to be the guy for that city. There's nothing better. That city will embrace him for the rest of time. And uh, he's got four more wins to go to really uh, cement himself as a Philly for life. Well, he's he's the type of player that Philly fans absolutely love, where he's going to show up, he's going to work hard, like he's playing through injury right now. He embodies kind of like the Rocky spirit of just hard work, show up every day, run hard every play, just play the game right, basically. Uh, if you've never had the pleasure, listeners, of watching a sporting event with Philly fans, they are psycho. And I mean that in a, as, in a, as a compliment. They're crazy. They're crazy people. They care so much about their team and representing their team. And when a guy does that well, they are on board. They are ride or die type fans. So it is cool. I, I did pull up Trout versus uh, Harper stats. So it's interesting. Trout is consistently, his peak is higher than uh, Harper's, I think in every category except for batting average. Uh, Harper's highest batting average was 330. Trout's is 326. The 162 average, 34 doubles, 40 homers, 103 RBI, and a 303 average for Trout. 35 doubles, 33 homers, uh, 96 RBI, and 280 batting average for Harper. I feel like Harper plays with more emotion. He, it's like Harper. He's like he's like on a wave always. He's it's either a high season or a low season. So his, he's not as consistent. It's going to be interesting to look back on their careers. If Trout never really gets to make a playoff run, he's just historically never been a guy that plays with passion, plays with energy, plays like he doesn't have that kind of natural emotion about his game the way that Harper does. I mean, Harper's first double ever. He's flying around the bases, flips his helmet off like he's a man on fire. And Trout just goes about his business. So pretty Which different personality. It's, it's what makes him more volatile too, right? It's it, You have more volatility 100%. when you're that emotional. Um, it's why 
Trout is probably more consistent. He's very yeoman-like, goes to the field, gets his work done. You picture Trout's, you know, casual homer jog, and it's it looks cool. It's swaggy, but very under control. It's always the same. He never looks like he's doing anything at max effort, which is a credit and testament to how good of a player he is. It's easier for people to resonate, I think, with Harper because of his emotions, because most people are more emotional than Mike Trout. <laughs> most people are. That's just what I, it's my uh, clinical diagnosis for society. Um, and I think you just connect, you, that's how you eat. Everything's relatable. It's like marketing 101. Like, how do you connect with players? Bryce wears the headbands, the green cleats. Like, Trout would never do that stuff. And it's fine. I think they're both great for the game. And, you know, I wish I wish Trout would be more appreciated. But the challenge is, Bobby, now, we, as a society, we don't, we don't just – we don't appreciate greatness in and of itself without – I guess a character behind it, right? Unless they're more colorful. I think certain people do, but again, you resonate more with the emotional dude. And uh, again, Harper to me is right now cementing himself in uh, Philly lore. They'll have his statue right next to Balboa's. I mean, even the response to guys like Ryan Howard, Jimmy Rollins, Chase Utley, dudes that won a world series in Philly. Pretty cool. Um, and Harper has a chance to, in that conversation yeah uh let's talk about mindset in those moments um harper's post-game interview he's talking about being appreciative of the moment not being in a gotta get a hit putting pressure on himself can you uh can you speak to this type of moment or moments you've had in your career what's what's the mindset like because you're i mean I used to like count down the at bats, like, all right, this guy gets on, this guy gets on, I'm going to come up, blah, blah, blah. You're, you're building up the scenario in your head. Um, how do you, what, like, what's your process of like, take me from putting your batting gloves on in the dugout, top stepping it when you're in, in the hole, what's it like on deck and then approach when you actually get to the, get to the plate. It's wild because I think, and I, I've alluded to this before, to me, hitting in the postseason is incredibly easy. Um, until it gets to probably game seven, deciding elimination game, right? When when your back's up against the wall, right? So like the Astros could like were chilling last night, chilling, right? The Phillies were chilling. Like as much as you don't want the series to go back to San Diego, you should be straight chilling because you're up three to one. You're in a situation that you've put yourself in the driver's seat, and now you've afforded yourself that luxury. The same way I would argue that games one through four, be it that they're not games where if you lose, it's over, should be the same way. Now, that being said, I know a lot of people are like, what do you mean it's easier to hit in the postseason? It's better pitching, it's better the bigger stage, more people watching. Yeah, but when you start to realize that nobody really cares, like when nobody, when you start to realize that it's irrelevant, because if you play poorly i.e. Jose Altuve, and your team wins, nobody gives a shit. And all it takes nobody. is for as one... As you all, all it takes is for one moment where you go from the GOAT to the hero, right? Like, it takes one moment. And to Bryce's point about being grateful for the opportunity and, and understanding where you are, like, it's like having your feet on the ground, right? Like, be where you are in any given moment. Be present. Do things on purpose there was this overwhelming calm when I played the playoffs and I'll never forget game two. It was my first opportunity to play in a big league postseason. I knew I was going to play cause I didn't play game one cause we were in some righty lefty, whatever, even though I was hitting righties better, which is neither here nor there, but I knew I was going to play game two and we had lost game one. And I was, I probably got my best night of sleep after game one, somebody had asked me on the street, they're like, why didn't you play today? And I'm like, ah, it's above my pay grade. I don't make the lineup. Like, I don't <laughs> I don't get to make those decisions. Slept great, woke up, went to the field, did my work, and then was just, it was like the true Zen flow state, right? Like, you just go to, I went to a place that was like, I was so acutely aware of everything that was going on. It's the same reason I made the plays that I did on defense. Like I made the diving play to my right, saved the beginning from happening, 
everything felt slow. Um, and then I was looking change up off Cole Hamels and he threw a fastball and I hit a double. Like it was wild. It just, the game slowed down because I let it. And that's the power of mentality and, and it, just how you perceive certain situations to be. A lot of guys think the playoffs are harder because of, you know, all the people that are watching, but it doesn't, it shouldn't. I, I and that's, I can only speak to my experiences, but, um, I remember I'd, I'd go in the dugout, I'd, I'd be so calm. And if I felt the moment get a little bit too big while I was putting my stuff on or walking up the steps, I would just kind of take some deep breaths and look around and to Harper's point, be very appreciative for where you were in, in that moment in time. And it's pretty cool, man. Like it's pretty cool to be thought of in the light that we're speaking to Bryce Harper right now and well-deserved. I mean, he's, he's had to deal with a lot of the pressure for a long time. So yeah, pretty legendary moment for to to hit a go ahead homer that late in the game. It's, it's pretty incredible. What can I like? What what was the strategy there? Like, oh, he took a really good pass at a fastball away, and then he had the most casual take ever on the changeup. Let me throw another fastball. Yeah. Like, Get him to two strikes, then throw one down the middle is what it seemed to same, be. So same philosophy his, as Jordan Alvarez, Robbie Ray. Yeah. His uh, – well, so the – this is later in the show, but the Mariners-Astros game, they the Mariners lost by three pitches. They lost, the whole they, series. <laughs> three, the whole series. Three, the whole series was three pitches they lost because it was three homers that decided all those games. So I – I love when one moment dictates the whole game. I love it. It's because every moment matters and it's playoffs, go home games. It's that's the embodiment of that. So for Harper to the pitcher lost that pitch. He threw he it was either poorly located, it was the wrong pitch, whatever way you want to look at it, they lost that pitch. And because of that, they lost the game. And I, I love that because you got to win moments. They lost a moment. They lost a, they lost a game. They lost a series. And the um, funny thing is the only way you yeah. can do that is if you're, if you're locked into all of them because you never know what moment it's going to be, right? You never know when that moment's going to show up. Is it going to show up in the eighth, the seventh, the fourth, the third? And, and it seems so easy to like look back and say, okay, well, this was the moment. And it could, because it resonates with people because – Jordan Alvarez's walk-off homer against Seattle was the moment when the game ended. It was the conclusive moment. But if you really look at it, like why did Munoz, who throws 172 miles an hour, throw a bad slider to Bregman to give up a two-run homer in the eighth? The same way I would say, like, why did the Yankees leave Court Nestor out there when he was hurt? Like they knew clearly something was wrong to give up the homer to Pena and then let the game get tied. And, and you can say all these things after the fact, but that's why it's so important to play 27 outs, right? You have to play from the first pitch to the last, last pitch. Houston has not lost a game in the playoffs. That's like arguably the most dominant run ever. Like I think Colorado did that too the year they lost in the World Series to the Red Sox yep. leading up Colorado to it. was undefeated going into that. And it's weird because now, right now there's a four-day break. It's yeah. like the NFL Pro Bowl. Like, hey, baseball's at an all-time high. Let's take four days off. And exactly. I, I'm sure the court, the coordination TV around it is incredible, and you know, it's yeah. TV and it's money and whatever. But it sucks that you got to wait. There's a four day break. But this baseball. is probably the Keep first on. time that both LCSs have ended on the same day, so it's same for both teams, which is good from a baseball standpoint. But well, and then the the they were playing on the same day. That the division series and the league series were being played same day because of the rain. Yeah, so, so the scheduling to, has been a little wonky. We've been saying wonky, wonky a lot lately. Wonky. <laughs> but going back to the point of of like Houston seems so dominant. You just said it. Seattle lost by three pitches. Like you could make the argument that Seattle won the series. It literally three pitches go the other way. They might sweep. They might sweep. They probably they played what's twenty six times three. They they played that many. They might have played all outs better like consistently they played better baseball 78 
across the board, they lost three pitches, and those three pitches dictated the series. But the funny part was, is if you if you were watching baseball, or if you've watched baseball, or you know baseball, it's night and day how much better Houston is than Seattle. Night and day. It's not. It's clear, and not because nothing against Seattle, but they're just not ready yet. They're just not in a position to be the Astros. And they lost by three pitches. Game one, when uh, when Crawford hit the homer in game one, was it off Verlander, I believe? Yeah. I was like, they got to win this game. They cannot if they let couldn't lose. Ask, if they let Houston back in, they have no chance. It was just it, it was like um, opening day for the Red Sox when they just banged balls early, and then they lost the game. It felt like they it felt like they won the game, but they actually lost. Uh, it happened in the playoffs last year with the Red Sox where. It felt like they were up against Houston, but they were actually down in the series because they just they they were in the lead for so many innings and then just lost it at the end. Um, it's it's man, the playoffs are weird. The playoffs, I always I always love saying good teams find a way to win, bad teams find a way to lose. I thought the Yankees found a way to lose last night with that double play, just not being able to put the fire out. They just weren't going to win. They weren't the Yankees, the Yankees they weren't, have been finding a way to lose for a while now, right? And they just accidentally beat Cleveland because they probably just outgunned them enough. Um, this, it didn't feel like New York could do anything, right? Even when they had the lead, it didn't feel like they were going to win. I Two nights ago, we got a text from somebody saying, hey, I you know I bet the Yankees. And I said, what a terrible bet. Like, it's just brutal bet. Like, awful. They're hitting zero dark 30. Like, they can't... They're so clearly not ready to play in these circumstances against a team that is much better equipped. Like, go up and down the first six hitters in that lineup and then even take seven, eight, nine and and look what they did. McCormick hit a big homer. Like, the only thing he did the whole series, he hit a big homer and then ran some balls down. Um, but Altuve didn't have a hit until... Huh? McCormick had two homers. Okay, but that's it, right? He didn't do anything else of note. Maldonado hit like a double. Two homers is a big deal. Yeah, <laughs> you win four games. One of them, sure. like, one of them tied the game, and the other one was like a go ahead. I think. Right. Runs but had like, had like no so. other hits. No, but like had no other hits. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. I mean, let's call it three for seventeen with or three for eighteen, whatever. Three for nineteen with two bombs. That's great. Good job. You you made an impact. Like, you didn't go nine for 18, right? You, like, you weren't all over the base pass. Alex Bregman was all over the base pass, right? That You, you saw yeah. him all over the base pass. Yuli Gurriel. I like, used to not like Bregman. I, I, need to make a, I need to make a Bregman statement. I used to not like him, and now I like him. He's, I think he's the guy on the team that you don't – the guy on the team you hate playing against, but you love when he's on your team. He's just a grinder. I used to really not. He used to just really bother me, just watching him play. And now I, I really like him. I think he's a guy that I would really like to be on my team when the moment matters. Um, probably does some things that are a little bit intolerable at other times, uh, but that's okay. Because as long as I respect you at seven oh five, like we're good. Like if I want you on my team at seven oh five, then we're great. And I think that's. A testament to him. He's always he, he's had like a, a flair for the dramatic, one of the big moments. And to his credit, uh, I think other stuff he does is over the top. But again, that's if if I can deal with you at seven oh five, like nothing else really matters to me because all that matters is seven oh five when we're trying to win. That's it. Like, it, can you post up and come with it at seven oh five? Like, I'll deal with all the other stuff. I don't give a shit about any other crap. Um. But again, Yuli Gurriel, bad year, great playoffs, like professional hitter. Uh, Kyle Tucker putting together pretty good at bats. He didn't have a very good series. Jordan Alvarez didn't have a great series, putting together tough at bats. Nope. Like they just put together. He had the go ahead on go ahead and hit last night. Yeah, yeah. Tucker well, two fourteen, Alvarez two forty one for the series. Altuve zero ninety four. Yeah, Mancini but, was ne- nowhere. But look at what happens when they need to have moments where, like, they need to have moments where they need to scratch back into a game or they need to take a lead or, like, they just have better. The Yankees create no urgency offensively, none. Like, the ninth inning was pathetic. The eighth inning was pathetic, right? Like, they just, no eighth traffic. Worse after the, yeah. Yeah. Like, it was like an eight pitch inning, like, no traffic. 
no urgency. Nobody like scratching and clawing to have a great at bat. Like Stanton, Stanton swings at that first pitch slider and hits the line drive to right. Like, kind of hit it off the cap, right? And, but again, and maybe it was the best pitch he was he was going to get to hit, but just a completely different dynamic. Like they can't score in multiple ways. Like you knew they had to slug to beat you. The only guy, the only guy in that lineup that I'd have given you a dime for was Rizzo. Like that's it. And that's no knock on Judge. I like Bader Aaron, had a, he, Bader had a pretty good series. Again, in an overall contextual, like who are supposed to be good hitters, Anthony Rizzo and Aaron Judge is wonderful, but like clearly played with kettlebells on his shoulders. Like he had to carry the offense and probably wasn't ready for the moment, right? Like probably like felt it was overwhelming. Um, and finally got a team that decided not to throw him pitches down the middle of home plate, which also is useful. And he squared some balls up. He hit some balls hard in the series that got caught, whatever. Um, but, you know, Rizzo last night in a deciding game, like put together professional at-bats, like understood when to take pitches, hit the double, hit the same, hit, hit against the shift, got, you know, got on base three times, I think it was, his first three at-bats. Um, there was uh, I, wanna, I need to find it real quick. I think it was Darren Fenster. Fenster, is that your name? I, th- I like it. I'm not logged in. Oh boy, I'm not logged in. Uh-oh. There was a, a tweet about uh, it was about Dombrowski, and how he's now he's taking. This is his fourth team. He's taken to the World Series. Correct. And shout out Sam. Also shout out Sam Fold because I'm he's texting him right now. It's awesome. Yeah. So name drop. They were talking about they were talking about Dombrowski about how he looks for like the blue chip players, but he'll he'll lose trades to the public opinion. Like from a optic standpoint, he'll be willing to lose a trade to get the guy that he wants because he knows getting the guy that he wants makes a difference. And when when teams are playing conservative, if the, if the whole team is being conservative and he can stick his neck out and make a risky move, that has a chance to, to topple the, everybody that's playing the averages. We were just on the phone talking about you know playing poker percentages. And if the odds say it's 51%, then you should do it. But baseball players aren't poker cards and poker chips. It's, there's a human element to it. So when you find a guy with a proven record, track record, you find a guy that has performed when it matters, a.k.a. Schwarber hit like just showing up and having incredible at bats. What he hit like two Oh eight this year or something. And then he's the toughest out in the playoffs, just putting up numbers, hitting balls to the moon. Um, getting a guy like Bryce Harper, where the Yankees that I saw one tweet where Har- uh, Cashman was asked about Harper and he was like, Oh, you guys are still talking about Harper. And he was like, yeah, he's a generational talent. He moves the needle for a franchise. He's the guy in the clubhouse you need. Like Bregman's the type, the type of guy in the clubhouse you need. So if you if you're willing to take a perceived loss on a trade to make sure you're getting the guys that you want, instead of just playing the numbers, instead of just saying, "Well, oh, for the war for this guy, it's war is worth seven million dollars," so we need to blah blah blah. It's like who's the human behind the numbers that matters in the playoffs in these type of moments where it's not cutting time. That matters so much. And it's just Do getting proven see, over and over again. Have you been watching the energy coming out of the Phillies dugout? Like every time something happens, dude. This all and started how about the manager the, situation? This the, the, all the reaction started, to the manager. Yeah, incredible. This all started. Let's not forget they were losing game one, about to lose and go down one nothing to the Cardinals. And Gene Segura, who is one of my favorite scrappy hitters of all time, like. Just one of the most underrated and underappreciated players in all of Major League Baseball because all he does is hit. Like, that's all he does is hit. And it's just not flashy or loud. Sticks his butt out, flips balls in the outfield. Like, it's incredible. Like, he's a professional hitter. Now, he blacks out sometimes and does stupid things like get picked off and drop balls on double plays. But you take it. You take it because he's a pro and he's going to put together – professional at bats over and over again and not swing and miss. But like the point is you see the energy coming out of their dugout and their whole series, the series with Atlanta started sack fly sack, bunt, bunt for a hit. Like 
these dudes were scratching and clawing and gnawing to beat people. Ran through division the central, ran like ran through the the NL East champions, and now are going to go on the other side. And I, I'm taking I'm taking the Phillies, dude. I don't care. Like I don't care how good Houston is. I'm taking the Phillies. Like it, 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 the only thing that could kill them is these four days, like just killing their buzz, because those dudes are yeah. hungry, hungry. And the top five They've guys been... in that lineup are like four. I should say Castellanos been like kind of whatever, but. The top four dudes in that lineup, like I put all of them on my team. I would like to see the record when um, the manager change happened versus the Houston record since, like, from that point in time, because they, I mean, they were like eight games under five hundred at the time, something to that effect. They've yeah. been just rolling since they were like twenty one and twenty nine or something like that. Yeah, They're, and they were they, they were not a great team. Games. The, yeah, yeah, they but the first fifty though. games they were pretty bad. They were pretty yeah. bad the first fifty, and they've been steamrolling since. So, well, you could see, uh, like, even in his inter- yeah. in his interviews, Thompson's been like, just kind of cool. Like, he's just like, yeah, we play baseball. When they when they gave him the mic on the uh, on the big stage, and he just kind of pretty mild mannered, just didn't really seem like the super energy guy. And then the clubhouse after, when they had the champagne bottles out, yeah, every first bottle of champagne was in his face. Yeah, that. To me, speaks volumes. the The Astros players were all talking about Dusty and how they they want to win for him. It's yeah. amazing how consistent that is when you have the right guy, when you have the also, guy that can motivate, that can steer. Shout the ship. out Mike Kalitri, bench coach, Northeastern grad, Mike Kalitri, mass guy, New England, well represented with the Sillies. Mike Kalitri was a pro scout. Now he's a bench coach for the Sillies. It's awesome. Sam Fold was. Center fielder, Superman, extraordinaire, GM, vice president. They said I'm vice gonna, president, gonna, GM. <laughs> and I texted him. I, I said, dude, I told him, I was like, title? you look, I said, you look like a nerd up there, but like a nerd I could hang with. It's awesome. Cause he had his like tight chinos on. It's great. Yeah. Well, he, I mean, he is a nerd. That's not an insult. He was like, He's... he had his hand out to do his Sam Fold high five. And I was like, and I thought he was going to get an interview because they interviewed Dombrowski and, uh, I, I was, the, yeah, they, the, they shifted the stage. The, the general <laughs> the partner. And I, I was like, oh, Sam's just staying on the spotlight. I saw no Sam Fold interviews. I actually did a Google search of Sam Fold last night. No recent interviews. I couldn't find anything. It was just like, oh, Sam Fold, GM. Nice. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to text him. Hey, what's more exciting? Winning the 2000 New Hampshire Legion state title at Gill Stadium or going to the World Series? Going to the World Series. Yep. Probably going to the World Series, but a little better. Sam Fold. Maybe. What Maybe. Guy. Uh, how about Schwarber's homer the other night? We have to talk about it because he hit it to the second deck in San Diego. Um, if you look up old scouting reports for Schwarber, it says he has not good bat speed. So that's interesting. Want to add anything to that? Oh. <sighs> Yeah. Um, Maybe he's done a lot of bat speed training since then. Yeah, that must be. <laughs> he's been doing a lot of bat speed training. I know one year he got skinny and he didn't hit, and now he's not uh, skinny anymore. Yeah, he's just he's the thick. He's like, like the, the he's the thick with two C's. Yeah, he's thick. Nice. So, can, like, like on what planet, right? Like, is is there not like a resistance element to hitting? Like when you create, like if you just create speed with a bat and you have no resistance at impact, like does the speed translate into the same thing? So like if a guy that's like thick and has strong, like people remember people used to do the rice buckets for their forearms and wrist curls and all the old, the, all the old Latin guys would say, Hey, work on their forearms, man. You know, you got to do the forearms. You know, the wrist curls. Like, it's not by accident. Like, there's, like, direction and resistance matter in in creating proper bat speed, right, to get through baseballs. So, like, let's put the bat speed thing to rest and, like, stop arguing that it's the most important thing because he hit the ball harder than anybody and his bat speed's not higher than everybody else's. So let's stop, please. 
if if the whole concept is to deliver force to the ball, then it's mass times acceleration. Ding, Doesn't ding, mean ding. you can't do it. Like if speed exists, then that's that matters. But if it's mass times acceleration, that's equally to force. Shouldn't be we should we be working on acceleration and not speed? Quick, not f- quick, not fast, quick, not hard. Like all the things that all the old hitting. Yeah, guys I mean, say. it's just if if we're taking a data driven approach and force equals mass times acceleration, then so. The mass, the ch- I guess we could increase the amount of mass the bat has because right. like Todd Frazier, Todd, pra- Todd Frazier proved you could throw the bat and still a homer. Not optimal. We're not, it's not an optimization strategy to throw the bat, but you can do it. So I guess the speed of the bat and the acceleration of the bat are not the same thing. So the Maybe challenge, have that conversation. the challenge in all of this, right? is when we think about force equals mass times acceleration, if we want to go down this rabbit hole, is it mass of the player? Is it ground force? Is it mass of the bat? Is it just like which one of those things stands out? Is it all of them? And and the, the reality has to be it's some blend of all those things, right? Because if Aaron Judge and David Fletcher create the same bat speed and they impact the baseball, Let's just be clear. David Fletcher is not going to hit the ball as far and as hard as Aaron Judge is. Like, it's just, it's pretty obvious. Is that fair? Like, is that a fair statement? So, if, say it again. You, if David you Fletcher speed and or, speed or if, acceleration. If David Fletcher and Aaron Judge create the same bat speed, just same bat speed, if you measured their bat speed and they impacted the ball squarely, are they hitting the ball the same distance and the same speed? No chance. So, so the, it depends on how you want to look at the equation. And that's the problem with this is I don't think people are looking at the equation correctly because they're going to pull out the Todd Frazier clip of him throwing the bat and say the the human doesn't matter. I mean, if you're behind the ball and you're braced up and you're in a good position, are you is the is the the weight of the bat the only thing that matters there? Because when we look at uh, grip strength numbers, we don't see guys hitting the ball 100 unless they grip at least 125 pounds of pressure. So something like grip has to matter. At Correct. Some point. That's why the old Latino if, guys always say, "Hey, man, work on the forearms." You know. I just I I'm I'm way more concerned with looking at outliers where the guys that can hit, I want to know I want to know everything about a guy that doesn't swing with high bat speed but does hit the ball hard. Because going faster, 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 to me is the ways you create bat speed and like really expand your bat speed ceiling can create a much lower floor. Like if you're just chasing faster, I don't, I don't see swings getting better and better the faster you swing. Well, if I, just, I, had, I don't see that, if I had my whiteboard behind me, I would do a chart, but it's off to the side. It's a spider chart, right? Like if bat speed is over here and it's like at this point, if I pull bat speed that way, I'm going to pull other stuff this way toward back toward the middle. It's going to regress to the middle. If I try to swing faster, I'm less under control. I'm less accurate. And th- this is why it's like hitting is a blend. And there's there's no magic formula to say, okay, what is most important? It's what's most important in this moment. Nobody will ever argue that swinging faster is worse for you. But it's what are you sacrificing to swing faster? Like, what is your tolerance for swing and miss? What is your tolerance for miss hitting baseballs? What is your tolerance for striking out? Because everybody has a gear that is faster, Bobby. Every individual on the planet that's ever played baseball has a gear that is faster than their fastest. Unless it's their fastest, to be clear. And I mean, like, faster than what they've done in a competitive environment, right? You could go harder. You could go more. You, you can always find a little bit more. It's what what shows up when that shows up for, in terms of results. Because the game is still ultimately about squaring the baseball up. And to square baseball up, you've got to be precise. It's very, very difficult to, to hit a round object with another round object and hit it square. Eight. I think precision with, precision with time is so much underrated. People don't talk about that enough. No shit. The ball trap... The ball traveling through a zone going 90 miles an hour and the ability to be 
precise within a window. And oh, by the way, it might move in a different direction than it did last time by accident, even if the guy didn't do it on purpose. Too bad you can't see spin to help with that. I know. I wish I could see spin. If only I could see spin. All right. Uh, so Schwarber, Schwarber hit a bomb. Playoff Soto is real. So just a little pat on my back for that. I, I predicted Playoff Soto. He did pretty well. Um, that's going to get airtime on Twitter, that clip, if certain people listen to it. Because uh, Soto had a bad year, according to some, according to his history. So there's now predictive stuff. I had a, a member of a... I'll say prominent MLB organization DM me asking what I thought about Soto. So there's people paying attention to it. People asking, poking around. Um, it's always funny to me when people ask questions like that. Cause it's like change of scenery got moved across the country. What was going like, is he in any injuries to consider? We like, if you just look at the swing and say, look, he's different. This is why he sucked. This is why he wasn't good this year. It's just a dangerous game to play because you don't so know what's going on. So short-sighted. You don't know what's and, going on. And let's just be clear. Like, he was OPSing over, well over 900, even though his batting average was down a bit in, in Washington. It, it, so after he, got, after he got traded, his numbers were down quite a bit. So even in his OPS, but let's be clear, right? When he was in Washington, it was like 250, 900. He was right? like right around 900. Yeah. Walking a ton, just getting on yep. base, hitting and balls hard. Wasn't no protection. There was nobody in the lineup that you that could hit other than him and Josh Bell. So basically you just said, ah, I'm not going to throw Soto anything to hit. They suck. And imagine being a kid who comes up to the big leagues at 20, 21, 19, whatever it is. And in your first four years, you've been competitive and won a World Series and been kind of like started to become the face of the game or one of the faces of the game. And now all of a sudden, hey, like we we concede. Your team goes, now nah, we concede. And you're getting to the end of your like arbitration. You're about to sign a deal. You're getting offers. That's a, like it's a million factors that have to do with your performance. Like, they all play in, and people are, oh, you're making excuses. We don't play freaking baseball in a vacuum. Sports don't get played in a vacuum. Emotions and psychology matter. Like, let's not forget it. Circumstances matter. So, like, stop acting well, like it's then that the, easy. The it, let's So, even if we go, if we work under the premise that his mechanics have changed, if you don't diagnose why they've changed, if you don't ask the right questions about why they've changed, then you could start going down the rabbit hole in the wrong direction for how to fix it. That's bad. That could be bad. that could be bad. Yeah, you so think like you gotta you gotta ask questions. You have to dig deeper into what's going on. We can watch it's, a bunch of side view or front view video, and like on any given moment find something about somebody that is a little bit different than their last time from a did mechanic you see when uh when the mariners got knocked out their their catcher was playing with like torn ligaments in his thumb like these guys are banged up like really really banged up it's like oh this guy's getting surgery he'll be ready for spring training this guy was playing with this injury this guy was playing with that it, if you're not in the trenches and you're not It's just, it's funny to me. The it's only day me you don't have a problem, <laughs> the only day you don't have a problem is the first day of spring training. That's the only day you don't have a problem. Sorna, or like, and that might not even be Maybe. true because if you had yeah. a bad off season yeah. or whatever, you got hurt in the off season. I, yep. like, it's funny, right? And let's look at my 2015 season, right? Just something innocuous that most people probably don't even know. I played for a month with a broken finger, right? I hit, what did I hit that I, I, uh, for up to that point? Probably, I was probably hitting 350, 340. Slid into second base at Tampa. Ball went off my finger, broke the, t broke the top part of my finger. Now, I acknowledge the fact that it was broken immediately without 
without an x-ray. Everybody knew it was broken, but it was this part. So you're like, oh, do I get an x-ray? Like, what good is that going to do? It's probably exploded into 11 pieces. So I said, okay, I have to decide whether I can deal with the pain or not. You realize, okay, it's not going to get any worse. Or like, what are you going to do? So you put a little wrapping thing on it and you go up to bat and you see if it works. I hit like a buck 80 for the next three and a half weeks leading up to the all-star break. And people are, oh, it's regression back to the mean. No, I was hurt, you jackass. The day after the all-star break, I got back and I went and hit in the cage. And it was the first day it didn't hurt. Guess what happened? Mind cleared, freedom. All of a sudden, I and now I was playing. I was in that stretch where I was playing like one out of every three or two out of three, depending on the series. And I hit like 470 for the next 15 or 20 games. Because yeah. now I had clarity. I had freedom. I, I could play. I didn't have to worry about my finger. I didn't have to worry about pain. Those things matter. They all matter. And to your point, if you don't diagnose the, the why behind the problem, then you're not doing anything. You're not doing anything. It's just it, it's so you don't know what bullshit that exists in the world is so ridiculous to me. So in that in that exact scenario, if somebody's judging your swing or they're they're making claims about your swing without understanding that you're compensating for something you're doing the best that you can in the circumstances you're dealing with like maybe Soto's dealing with something and he's he's doing everything he possibly can to stay on the field and perform in a way that doesn't hurt him more I we I don't know but if you don't know then you don't know and like we could we could have gone on we could have got on Twitter in 2015 and looked at the same stuff with you with people running their mouth and talking trash. And it's like, you don't know what you're talking about and you're not it's even, this, you're not privy to the knowledge on purpose. It's you don't the need same. It's the same crap that happens when players go in to do an interview and they answer a question and then everybody calls them a liar. I'm like, why did you ask the question then? If you're going to formulate your own opinion. And I heard Tom Brady say this a while back, like, there was a time when everybody didn't need to know everything. And now everybody thinks that they're entitled to know everything and have their own opinion about it, which is so freaking tired, dude. Like it's tired. Nobody cares what you think, Johnny. Nobody, nobody cares. And the fact that we have to like these people build like their, their following or their cults and their minions or whatever, they get behind them because of some cause, because they hate their own lives or whatever it is, is so brutal. Like, just leave the dude alone. He's great. He's awesome. Let him be. You're not entitled to everything that goes on in the clubhouse. You're not entitled to know it. But generationally speaking, like everybody has access. So now they want more access. You know, when players turn their, their IG live on in the, in the locker room, there's a line that gets crossed where it's like, dude, you're like, this is something has to be ours. If it's not, then like now we're exposed. We're exposed, and now everybody just thinks that they know better than everybody else. So it's like, oh, let me argue that, 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 and it turns into a dumpster fire. Oh yeah, let's 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 dip our toes into the dumpster fire a little bit. Uh, we'll start with the light one. I did a K per nine hypotheticals on Twitter. I asked if Randy Johnson was playing today, would his K per nine be higher or lower? And then if Gavin Degrom, Gavin Degrom, <laughs> the country name? music guy, no. That's, that's Gavin DeGraw is the country singer. Name? Jacob DeGrom. Gavin DeGraw. Jacob DeGrom. Why did my brain go there? Jacob DeGrom went to 1994, accidentally a strike year. Would his K per nine be higher or lower? I said it, I tweeted it initially because the I think it was the guy for the Phillies was just throwing 101 mile an hour sinkers. I'm like, this guy, his stuff has to be equivalent to Randy Johnson. Now, Randy Johnson had the height. And he had the reach. Maybe I could have picked Roger Clemens instead. DeGrom struck out 14.3 hitters per nine this year. He did it last year as well. Uh, Randy Johnson was consistently like in the 11s. So if you go back in time, if DeGrom went back, then he's he's probably throwing more innings. So he's not going to just – he's going to get pulled out of games earlier now than he would have then. So that's going to be a factor. But my the question was more about like just from a pure stuff standpoint, are we really – like Randy Johnson was 
disgusting. He was the flamethrower of his era. Are we really trying to say the guys now aren't like that nasty? Because if we're going to talk about strikeouts and the status of the game, guys are disgusting now. The relievers that are throwing are filthy. DeGrom, if you go DeGrom versus Randy Johnson, because the strike zone was bigger in 94 than it is now as well. What did you see these tweets? Did you have any thoughts on yeah, it? Yeah, I, I have a couple different thoughts, but I, I mean, I, I, you know how I feel about generational comparisons. Like, I can't, I'll never know. But just from a pure, from a, I know that, but from a pure stuff standpoint, do you think Degrom and Johnson are like fairly equal, or are they like you can't? From a pure stuff so, standpoint, we're talking we velocity. Gotta, we got to stop. We got. Like, we got to. There's consideration here, right? There's consideration. What? Like hitters have to get used to a normal, right? So when you're progressing through levels of baseball, the more you see something, the more you get acclimated to it, right? So the more often you see hard throwers, like how many guys are there throwing 95 in college baseball now? There's certainly more than there used to be. So it becomes a new normal. So like it was like when you went from high school to college to pro ball, like the normal shifts a little bit, right? So you just have to get used to that normal. I can make the argument to you that I got to the point where 95 was non-threatening, right? It's threatening in the sense that it's 95, but like 85 and 95 didn't matter if the guy wasn't doing something crazy to the baseball, right? If he wasn't making it go 12 feet in one direction at 100, right? I say this to people all the time. Like, I don't care if it's 85 or 95. It doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't affect me. As a matter of fact, the guy that throws 85 is harder to hit a lot of the time. Because your normal is closer to 95. So the thing that I'll say is, like, guys throw more balls now, like, clearly on purpose. Like, they throw more balls. What I respect about the Astros, they throw strike one a lot, right? Because if you don't fill up the strike zone, like, like if you don't throw strike one, you change the dynamic. Unless you're facing really good hitters that understand how to control the bat head with two strikes and foul balls off to get back to a pitch that they can handle. Now, Jacob DeGrom is really good. Do you know why Jacob DeGrom is really good? Gavin DeGraw. Gavin DeGraw. is really good because <laughs> he pitches at, at 100. He pitches. Like, <clears throat> like, so from a when, from a pure number standpoint, Randy Johnson he had a four year stretch where he won the Cy Young every every year. He threw two seventy one, two forty eight, two forty nine, two sixty. His peak strikeouts was three seventy two. Degrom, Gavin Degrom, has struck out a peak of two hundred and sixty nine hitters. What was it's a his big walk, difference? Two hundred seventeen. How many guys did Randy Johnson walk in those years? Uh, strikeout to walk ratio is five point eight five five point eight. Johnson was 5.2, 4.7, 5.2, 4.7. So Gavin Johnson was walking 70. Johnson was walking 70 guys a year, 70, but we need to go per nine. But you're also two to three per nine, and DeGrom is a one nine to two four. You can make the argument that those are the two best guys generationally, right? If you take most of these heavy bowling ball type relievers right now, they are completely accepting of the walk, like just completely accepting of it because they're coming in to unload the tank and strike guys out. That's it. Like, mm-hmm. let's not take DeGrom and Johnson because I think they're both peak, right? I would be more interested in taking a seventh inning guy or a sixth inning guy which really wasn't even a thing in 1994 because the starters were expected to get there. So you didn't need leverage relievers for the sixth and seventh inning as much as you do now. And it's part of why the game's changed because there's just more guys with better stuff. And the numbers say, hey, just come in, blow out the tank and strike people out. Because you'd rather, rather than give in on 2-0 and throw a heater, which a guy can handle, i.e. Bryce Harper down the middle, like, it doesn't matter if the heater's 100 because if you have to throw strikes with that heater, they're still going to get hit, right? Guys know how to time up fastballs. And I would say because of the generational change, more guys are doing damage on the fastball, right? So, like, pitching to contact is less acceptable. So it's a bigger paradigm than all of it. Mm. 
from a sheer stuff standpoint, like, yeah, Jacob deGrom is probably just as nasty as, as Randy Johnson, but it's because he commands his stuff. You look at the relievers for the Astros that are coming in 98, 99, 100. Like, the Astros guys are throwing strikes. That's why they're having eight pitch innings. You got other guys that are coming in and they're like, ball one, ball two, ball three. Like, they get themselves in trouble because they want to flip you. They, like, they just don't want to pitch the contact. They're trying to they're trying to avoid contact because contact is bad now. You'd rather walk a guy did if you, you see have plus the, plus uh, stuff. Did you see the on Twitter people were talking about how guys that throw harder, their off speed's more effective? Like that was some sort of shocking yeah, revelation. revelation. <laughs> yeah. But the, like, the oh, the guy is, that throws harder who makes you more aware of velocity is better off the, speed stuff. The thing is, is is like if you if you like if you just watch how many spots guys miss now. Like how many breaking balls end up being the backup breaking ball? Like, like the the what used to be called the hanger, which is now like an effective pitch because guys are diving out over the plate and they have bigger moves and they're looking to a lane or whatever. They throw the backup breaking ball that hangs on the inner third, and you're like, "Oh, that was nasty." It's like, well, the guy froze because he, he, you know, he was afraid ninety eight was going to hit him in the neck. So yeah, like it matters. Like it matters. It all matters. You know what I mean? So, so if you had to guess, forcing you to guess right now, would Randy Johnson be as dominant in today's game if he time traveled as he was I, then? I think he would. He would refuse to pitch to contact as much. Probably, like yeah, he'd be just as dominant. He'd probably strike out more guys because it's a strikeout generation. There were much. There were there were way more hitters in a lineup that were like more concerned with hitting a ground ball to second base against Randy Johnson because the strikeout was unacceptable. So I think he'd strike out more. The same way, mm-hmm. I I can't argue that if Degrom went backwards, that he would strike out less because he's really good at pitching. Like so, I think if Johnson came here, he would strike out more. If Degrom went back, he'd probably be about the same, or maybe less. I don't know. Or maybe more. We don't know. Or, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, quote, more bullshit on the show notes here. So uh, the Matt Kemp drill kept had second life. Did we talk about that last week? Maybe we didn't. So I named the drill after Matt Kemp. I did a YouTube video about it because a uh, friend of the program, Jeff Fry, decided to not have a thought about why I would do that with a player and talk trash about it. So made a video. It's about eight minutes long. Then some burner accounts talk trash about that, which is funny. But it's not it's not the Matt Kemp drill anymore. It's to get the back elbow as low as your waist. Uh, I should come up with an acronym for every player that's good that's done that. Stand by the information 100%. Um, I, I could understand how a, a player would be upset if his name were getting put on something that they didn't really endorse. I get that. Um, I think it happens everywhere and it always has. Like we have a drill called the Babe Ruth drill for players that need to get forward more. When I was growing up, everything was Albert Pujols based. It's tough to avoid it. You're, you're, especially if you're a good player that has moves that are going to be emulatable, then it's going to happen. It's not, it's not really avoidable. Um, but Stand by the information. The, the question of does it does a game belong to pros? Uh, somebody try to like throw a zinger tweet that oh the uh, for, pros and former pros are the ones that do it. And I was like, well, I played pro ball, so I guess I'm allowed to have a thought. I'm allowed what to have it, an opinion if I played. Bobby, what it, what it's it comes to down to? What it comes down to is does the information you're giving help hitters? And that's it. Like, the, 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 can you help players understand? And can you make things relatable? Can we stop with the petty bullshit of like, this is right, this is wrong. Like, nobody knows. Like, you don't know what's going to resonate with a player. Just try to connect with your athletes and, and be grateful that there are other people out there trying to help improve the game and trying to connect with athletes. Jeff, guess what? Your stuff might connect with some people that need it. Like, I was going to write out a whole thread about... There are certain people that, that, like, if you give the simple cue to a young player who is really athletic and, and good, it might help him, right? Like, the, the young player, Ferb said this, the young player in Little League pulls everything, ever gets out front, can't hit slow pitching, 
Like he, he pulls the ball with authority, right? Because he's fast, he's twitchy. He can do things that other kids can't. The, the, you take the, like you put him in, in Babe Ruth now, and now the perceived velocity is slower because the distance is longer. He's got to learn how to create depth or else he's going to make a lot of outs to the pull side on the ground. Like what's right for any player in any given moment is like having a resource that can help them based on what the game is telling them. Not, Hey, your drill sucks. Just with no context with no information. Like it's so ridiculous. It's so absolutely ridiculous. Like if people were smart, they would look into everything that they see on social media, they would evaluate it. They would try to pass judgment on it and on their own and say, okay, this is good or this is bad. And I'll be the first one to admit there's a lot of crap out there that sucks. Like there's a lot of crap that if like a, if a young hitter sees it, they're so vulnerable. They're so influenceable that it might be bad for them. Like it might, it might be really bad for them. But that's why you have to like individuals have to vet their own information instead of like some holier than thou source telling you what's good and bad. Some holier than thou source saying, hey, just do what I teach because all the good ones do it. Like it's such crap, dude. Like, oh, like here's a video of Paul Goldschmidt hitting a homer. This is what I teach. You didn't teach Paul Goldschmidt how to do that. Shut up, dude. Nobody cares. Like, shut I up. Thought. I have a, I have a thought. So uh, on a call that we were on this morning, we were talking about a player who has been exposed to farm boards and the whole concept of scissoring. And he was like, yeah, it's, it's, he's, he's scissoring way too much now. Like he's his back foot's getting in the air really early and then he's scissoring and he's like losing direction and whatever. And it's like, yeah, well, you can go too far with anything. And if you play – like if you go to bowling and you put the bumper lanes in, you're not really bowling. You're that's like fake bowling. It's not the actual game. So if you try to protect players from failure, then you're you're going to prevent them from exploration and finding things that could really work for them. And pushing a player into failure, they're going to have to learn how to overcome adversity, which is going to help define them as a player. So it's like, what do you, if you don't let players explore, what do you, you're, you're trying to protect them, but you're actually holding them back. If you, if you're saying there's only one way to do it, they're going to encounter failure at some point and they need to learn how to deal with that. So what are we even doing? The biggest problem, you, the, the, the biggest it's guy, problem, it's helping guide it players. That's coaching is we're not. We're, we're not like allowing, like we're not giving kids and parents enough credit for being smart enough to understand. Like we're not allowing children the, like the freedom to explore, to give them information, to push the thresholds of like what they can, what they can grasp and what they can't grasp. That's what it comes down to. Somebody, somebody is trying to be the source that says, I'm the one that can determine what a kid can learn and what a kid can't. And it's so stupid. Like, it's so stupid. It, like, it drives me insane to the point where I almost don't even want to talk about it anymore. Because, like, it, it, some days I, I just go back and forth between, like, are we giving it more ammunition or are we, like, actually standing up and saying, like, is it time this person gets put in their place? Like, and maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But, like, you're not going to change everybody. You can't solve all the world's problems. And, all we can do is just keep pushing forward and trying to help people get better. If that's what you really want, then do it. If not, go do your own thing, I guess. Yeah, whatever. Be controversial. Yeah. Be combative. We we have one more topic for you. This is pretty specifically for you, and I know that we're tight on time because you got a meeting. Yeah. Bucks are three and four. Tom Brady's three and four. Last he's never been this deep into a season, not being at least five hundred. Thoughts on Thomas. Just can't wait to see him respond. It's, that's what I look forward to. It's awesome. Um, it, it's there's a lot going on in his life, and it's another factor that you know people want to discredit. Are the or Bucks want to talk about? Are they supposed to be good right now, though? I because I don't. I honestly don't know if they're supposed to be good. Are they? They just loaded up their receiver core, but they they loaded up their receiver core. Everybody's been in and out. 
kind of hurt. Uh, they are supposed to be good. Their defense is supposed to be top notch. Uh, yeah, they're just, they weren't good yesterday. I mean, he threw for 290 something yards, maybe 300 and they're just not getting it done in the red area. They're not scoring points. Uh, he hasn't played, he hasn't performed poorly. Like he didn't turn the ball over. They didn't turn the ball over once and scored three points yesterday. Um, like he's, he's probably performed poorly by his standards. Um, by Tom Brady standards, like they're just not putting the ball in the end zone. And it, it goes to show you how big of a, an asset Rob was to that team. Gronkowski, that is, I call him Rob because his Jersey is right there. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, my guy saw me, he's, you know, he's, the, you know, I don't know, bro. Like, we'll see. Still a lot of time. So I'm not, they, I'm, not uh... I'm not selling yet. Where do they need to be record-wise for playoffs? 11 wins? Uh, 10 probably gets them in, I would think. 11 if it's so an extra game in the schedule. Yeah. Nine? nine We're seeing nine? Yeah, nine and, nine nine and eight. Playoffs? Nine and eight's weird because it's 17 uh, now, but a 10, 10 and seven. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. They're playing 17 games this year? Yeah. On that I don't, note. I don't follow football that closely. On that note. No. I'm done. I gotta go. We'll reconvene on Tommy in three weeks. Hey, pickle out. <laughs>